This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are doing things a little bit differently. Instead of giving you one single interview today, we are actually giving you three. Last week, we released an interview with Patton Hindle, the head of Arts at Kickstarter, where uh, we talked about the need for funding, the lack of federal funding, and governmental support for the arts in the United States and ways that artists can leverage community support. It was a really great conversation. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and check it out. But we thought this episode would be a great follow-up to that. It's also very timely, and so we wanted to get this out before we launch our third season, Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition, coming next week on August 13th. Something we've observed in response to the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement is a surge of community support of artists supporting artists, and a number of grant-making efforts and mutual aid efforts uh, providing funding and direct relief to independent artists. So for this episode, we wanted to bring a few of these together, and we wanted to draw parallels between these initiatives, uh, which are happening at every level. And so like Amanda said, this episode is different than any that we've ever done before. Uh, We have three interviews for you today rolled into one featuring three different mutual aid efforts. We have the largest national effort providing $10 million in emergency relief to artists impacted by COVID-19, organized by a coalition of arts organizations an artist-led initiative giving support directly to Black artists and POC artists, and a group of students at California College of the Arts in San Francisco raising money to support their working class and BIPOC peers. So if you're looking to support artists during this time, or if you are an artist in need of support, listen to these three incredible initiatives. Um, There are also a lot of funds out there, and we'll talk a little bit more about other ways you can support and find support throughout the episode um, and at the very end. Our first interview today is with the Working Class BIPOC at CCA fundraiser. We spoke with uh, Lindsay Guinan and Mary Graham, two student leaders at California College of the Arts. But this effort is uh, really a group initiative organized by a number of student groups at CCA, including the 24 Frames Animation Club, the Black Brilliance Club, the Students of Color Coalition, Student Council, and CCA Student Union. All right. Hello, uh, Lindsay and Mary. Thank you both so much for joining us on Beyond the Studio today. Uh, We're really grateful to have you here with us. I know that you are both currently students at California College of the Arts, so we're really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your experiences and some of the work that you've been doing on top of that. So maybe just to start us off, could uh, each of you introduce yourselves, um, tell us your uh, program, what you're studying, um, where you're currently based, or maybe where you're from? Maybe we can start with Lindsay. Sure. So I'm Lindsay. I go by she, her pronouns. I am originally from Berkeley and now live in Oakland. And um, yeah, my program is animation. My name is Mary Graham. Uh, My program is in the individualized department at California College of the Arts. She, her. I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania but I'm currently living in San Francisco. And so could you tell us a little bit about what your experience and involvement um, as CCA students has been? I'm interested in how maybe the two of you have gotten to know each other or you know other things that you've been involved in outside of being students at CCA. 
Yeah, Mary, would you like to go first? Sure. I guess my involvement at CCA, I'm the lead facilitator of the Students of Color Coalition at the college, which is just a in its simplest form, it's a safe space for students of color to share and connect with one another and have each other's backs and we organize events and whatnot. And I guess at its largest capacity, it's a tool for fighting racism at the school by having a close-knit network of other students that we can rely on, um, which I know is important, especially since there's a kind of low demographic, especially of black students at the school. So it's important to have that connection with fellow students of color and, and that allyship. Yeah, so uh, Mary and I met through SCC. So I'm a member of SCC and then also the treasurer of the animation club. Before coming to CCA, I was an educator in the Berkeley Unified School District teaching art. So I have some experience in the public education sector. And yeah, I feel blessed to be at CCA, but also recognize that it is an, an institution and has its flaws. Yeah, thank you both. So maybe let's let's shift into talking about uh, some of the work you all have been doing around this. Um, part of the reason for inviting you onto the podcast and wanting to you know spotlight the work that you all are doing on behalf of other CCA students. Um, would you want to introduce that work, the fundraiser, and talk a little bit about about what that is, uh, who's behind it? Yeah, sure. Um, so the fundraiser is a collection of different student groups and students, alumni, and ally staff members fighting for funds for working class Black Indigenous students of color. We've gathered this team kind of as a united front to CCA, kind of as an implicit call out to uh, essentially do better. Yeah, it's it's exciting seeing um, the momentum and it's exciting seeing how many people are coming together as a community to support this initiative because we do hope that it'll become embedded within CCA in hopes of a scholarship specifically for Black Indigenous students of color separate from the diversity scholarship. Could you talk a little bit about the the foundation of this fund coming into being? Like, were these student groups already working together in some way, or was this, uh, you know, sort of a new dialogue or conversation to gather all of these different student groups? And for those that might be, you know, outside of the the CCA community or the Bay Area Arts community, what are you know some of those groups that are involved amongst staff, faculty, and students? Yeah, I was just gonna sing the praises of Lindsay, who reached out, who is an, a member of the Students of Color Coalition and reached out to me asking if I wanted to be involved. And I don't know what your process was for gathering together all these other groups and curating such a strong group, but we as groups hadn't really had a whole lot of connection in the past. But yeah, it was, it was Lindsay. It is a collective effort, and I try not to, like, center myself as, like, oh, yeah, I, I started it. But, like, okay, so I've been looking kind of as an entry point to the Black Lives Matter movement in terms of kind of analyzing different communities and communities I'm involved with. So being able to reach out to the SEC, Mary's Amazing, the Animation Club, Black Brilliant, Student Union, Student Council. It was important because in each of those groups are amazing, talented individuals that know how to organize, know how to unite, know how to um, yeah, know specific the issues that the community has. And so I thought it would be important to compile that group, not only for 
the unification, but also empowering those groups in that way. And then also um, recognizing that there needs to be Black leadership and Black students need to be in positions of power within these types of organizing. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a team effort and it's definitely a lot of work that all these individuals are putting into because it's not just this project that they're working on, it's many projects that they're working on. Yes, and was the idea to create a fundraiser pretty clear from the onset or is that something that also evolved out of conversations that you were beginning to have with other student groups and student leaders? Yeah, it's, it definitely started as a fundraiser, um, and that was the goal. What's cool about this fundraiser is that with this fundraiser, we're being 100% positive. We're asking for money, and we're really grateful, and it's just amazing to kind of unite for these funds that are desperately needed, especially during COVID and BLM. So yeah, it definitely started as a fundraiser from onset, yeah. I was just Mm going to mention that in a lot of the demands that some groups have been presenting, The idea of having a scholarship, specifically the school implementing scholarships specifically for working class Black, Indigenous, people of color has been discussed. And it seems to be the responsibility of the institution to care for its Black, Indigenous, working class people of color, but hasn't necessarily done so. So it's very much we're taking initiative and we're modeling that for the school. As Lindsay said, it's an implicit call out. I'm really curious about those, like what the demands are. Nicole, obviously working for CCA has a little bit more of a connection to what's going on. And I've been following along from uh, like Nicole and I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art and I've been seeing similar organizations pop up at at MICA there. And I've seen some demands from other schools, but I'm curious about what y'all are putting together through this for CCA. Our primary focus right now, since we're doing this independent of CCA, is to be raising these funds. But then as a second step after this fundraiser to make it sustainable is to call out CCA to have a separate scholarship for Black, Indigenous, working class students. However, I know Student Union, who, and we have leaders of Student Union on this team, have a list of other demands that kind of are going in together. I like to think of it as kind of like a hydra. Like there's so many different heads of like organizations that are focusing on different things, but specifically for this fundraiser, it's to set up a separate scholarship that stands separate from the diversity scholarship. And so tell us, when was this officially established? I'm just looking at the website right now, and it looks like up to this point, you've raised over $11,000 with a goal of $35,000, which is immense. That's huge. And I think it really does demonstrate the success and the, the, the need for what you all are doing. So congratulations on that first big milestone. So how long has this been in effect? Yeah, we've definitely had like a month of like prep and structure meetings getting put into place, but we officially launched, I believe, the 10th publicly, but before that, we've been having meetings. So I'd say maybe like six to eight weeks this has been um, going on. Thank you to our donors. (laughs) We were also very, like, shocked with it. Shocked. So, yeah, it's 
It's incredible. My mentor, Patricia Maloney, who's a faculty member who has been doing fundraising and also on the team, said that the success rate of a fundraiser, if they, if you hit your, I think, quarter goal within the first 10 days, it means that you're going to be more successful. So it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. I'm also curious, once again, now years removed from school, what it's like going through COVID right now as a student. I mean, I I guess we're not in session right this moment, but obviously schools have been really affected, especially artists where kind of being able to be on campus is such an important part of that. I'm just curious how you're doing. Well, it was difficult to separate in my mind the difference between like strictly just attending school and also the tremendous toll that the whole thing has just on my life. Um, I was living by myself, so that kind of uh, took a toll on me emotionally. I know that continuing to have school over Zoom was definitely like a, a high point, but it was hard to like focus and being at home in like this non-academic space, like trying to do academic work was definitely difficult and also trying to stay motivated while also dealing with this kind of depression and limbo. It was yeah, kind of uh, was difficult. And just to note, like, she does amazing paintings that are huge. So I didn't <laughs> as a right, that's the, That was another thing, like, uh, just being creative and coming up with um, work that works within just my own space. Like, I, I was working on these really giant paintings, but I couldn't do those. But that was okay, because I'm also a performer, performance artist. So I was thinking of performance art and installation that I could do just outside in the world. So that was nice in a way. It was like forcing me to be creative and think of new ways to get my message across. Yeah, I completely agree with everything Mary said. And just like missing that community. Like I met a group of friends and I just like miss them so bad. I want to like hang out with them. But of course, no, COVID. (laughs) What ways do you feel like you've been finding community during this time? This fundraiser definitely helped. Like seeing the community that has, first of all, our team just putting in so much work and seeing their drive and their passion behind all of this has, I think, just shows community right there. And although we have to like be on Zoom meetings, like we still keep it energized and we laugh. (laughs) But yeah, but yeah, that's been I was going to say that it's just being involved in as many ways as I can be. Definitely this fundraiser, there's a sense of community and there's a, a sense that we're actually getting something done. So there's comfort in action and not just like kind of talking and mm-hmm. lamenting. There's like, I don't know, it feels good to actually be doing something and see the results and know that even in a small capacity, we're actually helping. So, Yeah. Yeah. And it's not small. I mean, I can't believe how much you were able to to fundraise in such a short period of time at the very beginning of of this organization. And every bit helps. Yeah. I mean, right now is a really great time in terms of this fundraiser because there is so much light in the Black Lives Matter movement. We're we're all looking at Black Lives Matter movement in many ways, not just in one way, not in just policing, which is definitely an important issue, but we're looking at as a structure. So I think Mm -hmm. the success of our fundraiser is because of the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, it's almost like our entire world is sort of on hold while simultaneously shifting. And it's like, how much can we shift? How far can we go? How how far can we take it to make things better when a new normal sets in? Do you feel like this process has sparked any new 
new goals or visions for the future since you've started working on this? Do you have any kind of long-term aspirations for either how this this initiative could evolve or, you know, even for other collective efforts that you might be working on or have in mind? Well, fundraising, like going through this process myself, just gaining this experience of fundraising is very intriguing to me. And also like Patricia has also inspired me to like do more research. So yeah, like continuing this in some capacity, whether it's research or fundraising efforts is definitely a potential, I guess, like side hustle because <laughs> I am in animation. But like, yeah, like this is, this will for sure be the passion of mine. I was going to say just as this fundraiser, we're still almost in the first step. And I think what we had all imagined was that we would continue doing this every year. This is a very strange year. <laughs> so who knows what will happen in the future, but I think because of the simplicity of the concept and, and the directness of it, it will be so easily evolved for the future. I think Lindsay had said that we were planning on trying to collaborate with the school in some regard and have the school take on this scholarship so we just keep doing it year after year and, and see what happens. And hopefully it leads to some kind of broader structural change. And if anything, it shows the strength and the influence of the community and organizing. And I think that's really significant. It shows the school what we all can do as a collective. And this is, I mean, this may be too early in your process to ask, but obviously as students who will eventually graduate, do you see it as something that would become a like student and alumni effort or like handing it off to current students after you leave or continuing to take part in it as alumni? Yeah, I think the success of this fundraiser is because we do have alumni on our team. So mm -hmm. absolutely, like it, this won't stop. Like whether it is structurally embedded, which is our hope, or if not, we'll continue to push and raise these funds ourselves, even though it is tedious and hard, like it is possible. And alumni are a huge resource to have in terms of our community that's pushing for this initiative. Mm -hmm. That kind of brings me to my next question, which is for other students that might be listening or for other art students at other schools that might be feeling isolated or feeling frustrated, you know, in the face of some of these efforts, what what might you share, you know, about the success of what you all have been able to do to others about, you know, maybe how to get started on a similar initiative or, you know, what might you want to say to a fellow student at another school who's maybe in the earlier stages of, of wanting or trying to do something like this? I think it's really important to reach out to your fellow classmates. They're your cohort. They're going to have your back and find those clubs that have similar interests and similar goals as you to form a really strong team and platform. Also be really clear on who you're targeting in terms of outreach and assign different leads for that. And then also make sure that your asks are very clear for those particular, the particular people you're outreaching for. For example, we're doing outreach to current students. However, we're not asking them to donate. And then on the flip side for faculty, we ask our three asks of, can you donate? Can you help spread the word? Can you put in, t in contact? to people who can help spread the word. So just being very clear on what you're asking and having a really strong mission statement and clear goal, and then also being realistic. So the 35,000 was our realistic number we decided that we could potentially achieve. 
there's tremendous strength in community, that this is a particularly isolating time, both literally because of COVID, but also like as a black student, it's it's really distressing to have this happen once again and have to deal with it and then have to be put in this position of, of educating mm-hmm. and confronting these kinds of discussions. It's, it's hard, but I was just going to say you find your people. And the best thing for me was becoming involved in the fundraiser because it's a form of action with such great results. That's what I was going to say. Reach out to your classmates, like Lindsay said. Yeah, Yeah. this is such a hard season. And I know a lot of folks are being asked to put forward a lot of uh, educational and emotional labor right now, which on top of existing as a human and especially as a student and as an artist, like it's a lot to take on right now. Yeah, and we, we especially appreciate both of you for being willing to share your your own story and your own experience because I think that will will be meaningful to other people that are listening. And, you know, again, especially other students who might feel feel that same size, sense of isolation um, or, you know, be dealing with similar challenges to know that there are that there are others out there that are working towards the same goals. And so I think there is a sense, you know, when we are so physically spread out um, that we we can share in that. So we really thank the two of you for being open and being willing to be honest and to, you know, share with strangers so that they'll maybe feel empowered to to do the same. Yeah, we really appreciate the time to kind of signal boost our um, fundraising efforts and that you're taking the time to highlight different fundraisers that are also aligned in similar missions. Yeah. And uh, for anyone that's looking to help support the fundraiser, where where should we direct them? And uh, for students that are looking for support from the fundraiser, where should we direct them? Yeah. So you can definitely email us at WCBICEOC campaign at gmail.com. Perhaps you can do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll have a link for everything. (laughs) It's a podcast, so you can't see. But yeah. Or you can follow us on Instagram at WCBIPOC, B I P O C. And that will just give you links to all of our stuff. So emails, GoFundMe link, survey if you have the time to fill out a survey that'd be great awesome and where can listeners find you two and your work oh yeah great well you can find me at mary.gram.art that's m-a-r-y dot g-r-a-h-a-m dot art on instagram yeah and you can reach out to me on instagram as well at, at Lindsay guinan so l-i-n-d-s-a-y-g-u-i-n-a-n awesome and we'll link those as well Great. Thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you. It's nice meeting you both. Thanks for having us. You as well. Absolutely. It was so inspiring getting to talk to students that are working to make their school a better place for their peers. I know when I was in school, I was definitely very self-absorbed and just focused on my own work and trying to make the best art I could. And it's amazing to see students and young people really being the change makers and and the ones that are holding institutions accountable to make their spaces more accessible and more supportive. 
Yeah, absolutely. Very inspired by these students and all of these interviews. So this next conversation that we have is focused on the Black Artist Fund, which is an initiative giving money directly to Black artists to combat systemic inequity in art. And we were able to speak with Kaylin Martin, a Miami, Florida-based musician um, and artist who is one of the board members and voting members for the fund. All right, Kaylin, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to Beyond the Studio. We're excited to talk with you about your story, your work, um, and the Black Artist Fund. Thanks for joining us. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's a really good blessing. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I wondered if you could just start by introducing yourself a little bit, talk a little bit about what you do, where you're currently based. I'm based out of Miami, Florida. I've been in Miami for probably the entirety of my music career, but I've been in Miami for about 13, 14 years now. My name is Kayla Martin. I go by the name I'd Rather Die Speeding on socials, but um, you can find my music anywhere. I kind of started making music around the time, around 2009, 2010, and um, that was a very different time for the industry as compared to right now. And it kind of just, as a passion, it stuck with me for so long. And, you know, being open to opportunities and being able to explore, like, what I'm capable of and just, you know, practicing with recording and producing and all, you know, the whole list. So I just kind of found a home in it, really. So music is like my life, my passion for sure. And as I get older and mature, I'm starting to, you know, learn more about the business, execute what I learn, and, you know, learn more about like what good business looks like too also. And learning how to respond to the times, how things are changing, stuff like that. I've been doing music for a really long time. I'm, I call it transgenre, where it's like I have multiple genres that I've explored throughout my process. Jazz, you know, um, hip-hop, rap, pop music, my last endeavor, electronic fusion, you know. I'm, I'm not really stuck on genres, you know. I'm just trying to really soak all up all the information and all the experience, creative experience I can as well. The music, for sure, has been something that's been a part of me for a long time, and I'm happy to just be in a position now where I can actually make a difference and pass some wisdom along, as well as just music to the pile of creative music. Yeah. We are excited to hear more about the Black Artist Fund, but before we officially started recording for this, we were getting to hear a little bit of your story. And so I'm really curious to know more about your your own backstory now and what has this year been like? You know, we were talking about ways that the pandemic has impacted artists this year and just, you know, how much has changed in the last couple of months. So what what have you seen, you know, either in Miami or just what has this experience been like personally? for you well i'm coming off of like the end of the year i put out a a major project for myself um major because it's one of the most complete bodies of work creatively but also major because i'm putting money behind it i'm you know camping Mm -hmm. putting things behind it yeah yeah the the release and the rollout ended around december and i started promoting a little heavily even more so after the fact but then you know covid hit i think in february Mm -hmm. february so it was super unprecedented, super not unplanned because I was paying attention, you know, to the politics of the world, what was going on out there. But when everything shut down, it was like everything was completely changed for sure. How what it looks like to me now is, you know, less personal investment when it comes to like promoting a song or promoting uh, any content but more just outsourcing information, being a service to the community. I mentioned that I reported an engineer, so networking more, actually. I think networking is becoming more of a bigger tool now because of this whole COVID situation and that everyone, people that want to work really want to work and they're willing to get it done. So it's like 
a lot. What I'm seeing more now is people just trying to get everybody in the room that needs to be there. And that can look like a lot of different things. You know, you can be a songwriter and have a little experience, but just because you're hungry and because you're willing to work, you're in the room with some big artists right now. A lot of that's happening for sure on any level, whether you know the local artist level or the industry level. You know, we're going to see a lot of different things coming out of this just because of how unprecedented the situation really is. And it's funny because it actually lines up perfectly because this project that I put out was actually, it was a personal project, but it was a lot of transformative things happening in my life to get it out, correct? So once I got it out, it felt very spiritual, like, okay, I got all this off of me. As soon as I got it off of me, you know, the world goes to shambles. Mm -hmm. To me, it was kind of telling, but also coincidental because once the COVID thing happened and we had to walk into the Black Lives Matter protests and that movement kind of resurging around the death of George Floyd, then out of nowhere, my friend Claudia Ng, who I went to high school with, so this is five years, five plus years ago, I met this woman, Claudia Ng, and we were students in high school. Both of us were kind of nerdy. We went to a magnet school, a really good magnet school. So we were both like into engineering and, you know, that kind of stuff, the STEM of whatever. Had a good bond, yeah, yeah, She ends up graduating. She was valedictorian in my class. So she literally was like the smartest mm -hmm. in the world. To me at the time, she ends up going to Columbia from Miami and New York to go to school. So I don't really see her as much. We see each other here and there or whatever. Fast forward, long story short, five years go by and now she has a platform that she's created to share artwork with artist-to-artist -artist interaction. Keep it simple. That platform ends up growing, and now she has, like, I think it's called a 1011 magazine. And that platform ends up becoming a pretty decent platform where artists can, you know, kind of break out. You find a lot of art that you've never seen, yada, yada, So it becomes a pretty successful platform. And I guess, you know, we haven't had a real in-depth conversation, but Claudia was taken aback by, you know, what was going on in the world currently with, you know, everyone being in the house, people needing relief and also the Black Lives Matter movement resurgent. So her first thought was, well, what can I do? As an artist, what can I do? Mm -hmm. and, and she's definitely, she's my age, she's 25. So she's very much aware of the state of culture as a whole and how much influence it gets from Black lives and Black culture. Mm -hmm. So she's just real about it, you know? She's not in denial about anything, yeah. been educated. So yeah. when, she, when she decides to do this nonprofit, she's putting together the board members for it. And she calls me. Mind you, I've been making music for 10 years and I met her back when in ninth grade, literally. So she calls me and I'm like, of course, you know, we have contact here and there, but lives have changed since then. But anyway, she calls me and she puts me on to the Black Artist Fund and she tells me, you know, I'm just trying to make basically create a nonprofit that is solely trying to put money in the hands of black artists that are, you know, independent, independent contractors that need relief in times like this. So we started off, I think maybe April, end of April, beginning of May. And within like about two weeks, we had like $10,000 saved. Within a week and a half, we were sending out grants directly to people. So it started off with, okay, our goal is 10K. And then once we hit 10K, then we'll take five recipients that the board members, including myself, get to vote for. There's about nine nine members scattered throughout the country, literally. Like there's some people that are in New York or some people that are in LA, in the States more so and obviously in Miami. We all stay in contact or whatever. We propose people to be nominated, and once they're nominated, we all go through a voting process, and then we take some of the money that we raised for that week, and then we allot it to people accordingly, whoever gets those votes. And they're all independent artists, black artists, they have, you know, work on social. So we're able to take them, do a profile of them. You know, we're kind of essentially we're raising money, but we're also creating this huge network yeah. through, this, through this funding. And, you know, not just between me and the board members, you know, now I have relationships with them, but even the artists that get selected, just having that 
awareness that there are people out there that are, you know, willing to support you financially, even though they are not right there in the room with you. And I think that's something that's really big, especially now, because it's such a, a desperate time. That's the word I'll use. It's very desperate right now. So the fact that, you know, you're reminded that, okay, there's someone out there, you know, or there's an entity out there that is here for me to succeed. I think not just for black lives, but I think everyone, that's a really good thing to happen right now. We need that, you know, in the world. So, yeah, we do the, the $2,000 grants, but we also do cash grants assistance for, and it's actually my, my contribution to the company was offering cash assistance, smaller amounts for younger kids, like uh, middle schoolers and middle school going to high school, $100, $75, you know. Because what happened was the first week we raised 10000 and then we had change left over. And my whole thing was, you know, how much more can we help? And I was thinking about a lot of the kids that are even younger than, let's say, 18, 19, that are independent artists that are younger, that may know what they want to do or may be inspired of already, but don't have you know the means for whatever reason, especially during now. So we started doing youth grants as well, where we send $100 you know, directly to a, a youth cash app. You know, they may, like, it's crazy because there's, there's a lot of kids out there that are, you know, 12, 11, 13, that have Instagrams that are putting graphics together that want to be seen or just want to categorize their work or want to be seen mm-hmm. next to you know, more artists. And I feel like if that exists, we have a responsibility as artists to let them know, like I said, we are out here for you and we see you. My biggest thing is I didn't have certain things when I was that age, 15, 16, 17. I had support in my family. I'm not denying that at all. You know, I would, I would give my family kudos. But as far mm-hmm. as outside of my immediate area, that let me know that, oh, the world needs this. It's not just what I'm thinking yeah. about my art or me expressing myself, but the world actually has a demand for me. <laughs> and I feel like sending kids that message at this at this time and at that age is like super important. So we're having a lot of fun coming up with ideas. We're getting a lot of partners involved. Hype Beast Japan hit us up. Um, some guys from Supreme hit us up. Wow. We're, really, we're really climbing. And every Monday yeah. we have the recipients and we give out, you know, two grand to each of the recipients and, you know, whatever cash grants we can for young kids that we get in contact with. Right now it's it's definitely centered around black artists. But, you know, with talking to Claudia, I really want to take it to a place where we can have it for all artists all artists that are just in need of assistance, you know, a real artist fund that can reach almost everywhere as my goal, for sure, what I see for the Black Artist Fund. Yeah, we were just talking with an artist the other day about how powerful it can be to get that type of support during this time, not just financially, but like you're saying, that that sign of, of validation and that, you know, someone believes in what you're doing can really, you know, help someone who is in this time of crisis to really to have the confidence to to keep going and take the next step. So that's amazing that you're providing that. Stay grounded as well, because, you know, like I said, it's desperate times that it's easy. Even before COVID, it's easy to fall into like into a negative state or I don't want to be this negative or depression or, or get caught up in yourself. So even now it's like probably even easier. So it's just like keeping your feet on the ground. There's an artist that we um, were able to get a grant to. His name is Andrea O'Shea. And he's a digital artist. Two weeks after he got the grant, he got a spot in Adult Swim. And now he does bumps for Adult Swim. Yes. And oh my God. I, I follow him. So I see him, you know, put up campaigns for like, do you guys do you guys want Adult Swim to keep using my bumps? But it's like, the money is one thing. But like you said, the validation of being like, dude, this is like, you're ne- you're in need, you're necessary. Yeah. is mm-hmm. more than the money. It's way more than the money, honestly. To me, it's like that validation helps him realize, let me stop playing with myself. Let me hit up adult swim because the whole adult swim thing came from the inner from the socials him him literally tweeting at adult swim like look at me you know and 
he was able to get it done and now he's working with them. But it's bigger than the money too, you know. It's just like that validation is super important because that validation keeps you keeps you sturdy in times like this. It keeps you realistic also with yourself. You don't you don't you're not as hard on yourself as you know you would be if you didn't have that validation. It's an important thing. And it's honestly crazy because I feel the same way on the other end, even though I'm not getting the money, I'm giving the money out. But I feel like I'm, a part, like I said, a part of that network and the network is growing. What I'm so amazed at too is just the the speed of this all coming together. You know, obviously things are changing so fast in the world right now, but the response seems to be just as immediate. And even the process of setting up a nonprofit can take months, if not years in some cases. So I'm really wondering, you know, how were you able to get this together so quickly to, you know, recognize that this is something that's really needed right now and and go from that idea to, you know, actually establishing a fund and being able to start issuing grants within a week or so? When I tell you this girl was the valedictorian of my school, I mean that wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> and I'm going to give my powers up to a woman 100%. She For her to even call me right now, and to, like to know to call me and for her to even have the awareness because she's she's in Colombia. Like I, she was went to Colombia. Like I said, she's not really in the art world, per se, through her daily activities. She just has a real respect for it. But for her to even be aware, you know, and to respond, I give her all the respect and kudos in the world. She's already familiar with the business, with the business as far as setting up nonprofits. Like I said, she had the uh, 1011 magazine. Really, it was more so being aware and responding, seeing that there was energy out there and allowing people to focus it and put it towards a direct, okay, look, you are feeling this type of way. We are giving this directly, transparently to artists. And by doing that, she was able just to tap in. And like I said, I was here already. She just knew to make the call. I even got someone on the board because my first thing was, okay, who who can I get on the board that's actually going to make a big difference? And I made a call to one of my friends named Nicole, who I met along the journey as well. She's a sustainable designer. She has a storefront in New York right now. Like she's going through all this, but she's really successful. She makes uh, denim pants. She makes cutting boards. She's an industrial designer. Her focus is sustainability. And I was like, okay, first thing I gotta do is get her in because as soon as she gets in, then we can really grow this beyond the times and making sure that, you know, this can grow past it and be something that's for all, like I said, for all artists later on. But really, Claudia is is an angel, man. She really like, because I'm not really doing the, the business aspect of it. I'm doing more of the putting the pieces where they go. She is really like, I'm willing to do this business. I know how to do it. George Floyd, I think, passed away in April. I don't need to bring it up, but that's the timeline that we're dealing yeah. with. Within two weeks, there was group contact between all the board members, including Claudia. There was Google Sheets marking all the donations, the different types of donations, the way they're allocated and everything. It's all organized on Google Sheets within two weeks. And we were giving out money within a week and a half. You know what I mean? So like it was like I said, I met her when I was in ninth grade. So it was really like all the pieces were lining up from years and years and years and years and years ago. You know, it just it got to a point where it hit a threshold and she was like, okay. And then when she made the call, I felt that energy. I made a call and we got a lot of people together that can make a, a big difference fast. You know what I mean? And that's really, and like I said, it's, it's not about one person. It's about a team, a team effort, but also it's about, it's bigger than all of us and that people really want to give back to something, you know, and they want to be a part of that. Like I said, I feel something giving back, just being a part of this. They want those people to feel that validation. So she was just a, a, a funnel and taking those, those, uh, those gestures and focusing them to the right people. Because a lot of times, and you're going to see a lot of it as the year turns, 
things get lost, you know, things really do get lost. I'm in the process of, of donating 10% of my, 5% is going to go to the Black Artist Fund, and then another 5% is going to go to trans travel funds of my merch and my stream numbers for the rest of the year. But like, just even with that, like I had to go and talk to every single fund that I was considering. How can we set this up? What's the way we're going to do it? Because, you know, a lot of times, especially with the internet, people get comfortable with passing on things, but also not doing things the correct way or going through or seeing them through. You know what I mean? And a lot of that is why I have to be there. Okay, here's a list of five different funds. Let me contact all of them. What is their process like? How can I get in cahoots? You know what I mean? Vetting it. Like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And like I said, thank Claudia for doing most of it because... For me, it's a lot of triggering stuff that's going on too. I mean, I'm a black man, so it's a lot of like, yeah. it's a lot of things that I don't agree with. There's a lot of things that, like I said, it's just triggering, you know. And there's things we can talk about all day, but because of that, it makes me hard to do a lot of the work. To be honest with you, so mm-hmm. to have people like Claudia to come in and to really carry the workload on the business standpoint, and then to kind mm-hmm. of give us around and give us the tools and say, okay, you guys already know people. I already know you do. So here's the keys. I'm setting it up for you. Make the calls. That's literally what happened. You know, everyone made their particular calls and the ball started rolling. I mean, we've probably had over 50 recipients by now, probably by, by today. We've had like 50 recipients already, you know, so that's like really a good feeling, man. It really is. It's a really humbling feeling for sure. And you all have already raised over $60,000, is it? I think it's 70 actually. 70000 70 or 80. I mean, we have about, I would say, 30 recipients of the big grants, and we have about like 15 of the small, smaller grants. It's a really good feeling. And like I said, really more importantly, I think the network that's forming out of this is going to be really the real game changer, you know, in a year, year and a half. I want it to really branch off into a fund for most or for any artist so that, like I said, the kids that are growing up, that are going to middle school, that are in the art class, that are already struggling, that have to deal with their parents, have to deal with school. They know outside of that, there's some people out there that really, you know, want to see them succeed and want to help them see it through, see their dreams through, really. But yeah, you can go online, blackartistfund.org. You can see live feed of what's going on and what we have currently raised. Yeah, so right now we have around 70K raised and our goal is 100,000 before the summer's over. We're really just trying to stay on the path and make sure everything stays transparent. We stay transparent with each other, but we also stay transparent with the recipients and we stay profiling them and we stay giving them their shine so that it's not just like, it's not just the cash, but it's also that feeling of being in the network and having people to contact and reach out to. I was looking at, we have 4,000, 4,250 followers. I remember when we started off, we had like 200. So it's just, it's really humbling, man. It's really humbling. It's only, it's only for a good cause, which is like crazy yeah. to me. And to see that it is, as a black man, to see that it is with, about black artists and not just black men, but black women as well. It's honestly like the most humbling thing in the world. And I think Claudia up to the moon because she really came through she really came through for us and he's giving us a platform because like i said this all really comes from her magazine you know her magazine 1011 started off as an art sharing website now that's three thousand followers and she was able to take the magazine and branch out into this artist fund so without the magazine i don't think it would have been able to cast the net so big so fast i really want to give her respect for that kudos how would you recommend someone who wants to support the black artist fund how would they move forward with that and someone who would want to apply to the to be supported by the Black Artist Fund, how would they move forward? If you have a business and if you have your own entity, then it's up to you if you want to personally donate, which we take personal donations, obviously. Or if you have a business, maybe you want to get into a, a, a business dealing where you take a product and you give percentage of that product or 
you know, you give, um, you auction a product off. Maybe if you're an artist, you're, you're a non-black um, artist or a non-minority, you could create a, um, a piece and then auction that piece off with Cahoots to Black Artist Fund. There's different ways you can go about doing it. You can contact us on our website, like I said, blackartistfund.org. You can go through there for any personal donations. So if you want, if you want to send $25, $2, you can go on our website and you can do that um, through Cash App, through PayPal, even any uh, major cards you can do as well. If you want to get in business dealings with us, then I would do an email, which is also on our website, or you can contact the uh, Instagram directly or the Twitter directly. We have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook as well. Um, and then if you wanted to be picked up for me and, and, the, and the board members, we, we're going off of literal artwork. So if we come across certain artwork, we're all going to see it and then we're going to do our investigation from there. Who is this person? Do they need assistance? Where are they at? Where are they at? Yada, yada, yada. If you wanted to, um, let's say, propose to one of your friends or something like that, you can do that as well on the website. Proposing yourself, you can do that as well on the website. The thing to do, honestly, may be to send us art directly to the page. And then we're able to see it, look at it, vet it, and decide right then and there if we want that person to. Well, not right then and there, but we decide if we want that person to receive a grant or be be nominated. Once you're nominated, like I said, you end up in a um, in a pool, a Google Sheet to be more exact, and then we're able to that you know vote by the end of the timeline whoever has the most votes, top three people or top five people they get donation. You can also buy art. So whoever artists that we do represent that we are um, spotlighting, essentially when we give them, we give them a donation, you can buy some of the artwork, but it's all on the website, blackartistfund.org. Um, and again, like I said, we're on all socials as well. So it really isn't difficult to donate to us, you know, and that, I think how much money we were able to raise is kind of like telling of that for sure. Yeah. Because the money's out there. People do want to contribute, you know, people really do want to and like I said, yeah, I'm going to give 10% of my stuff too. And I'm a black man, you know, but at the end of the day, like for me, and like I said, a lot of this stuff is triggering, you know, it takes time to kind of look at it for what it is and see what you should be and, or, or, or see how you really feel about something. But um, even me, I'm going to get in cahoots with donating 5% of all my streaming and all my world, my merch stuff to the Black Artist Fund. And again, like I said, separately to another outside of the Black Artist Fund. There's something so empowering about it being an organization kind of put together by artists supporting artists. And I feel like this season has shown, I mean, in addition to just being horrifying and, and stressful and traumatizing, but it's been really empowering to see the way that artists have been banding together to support one another. And I feel like in work, I've seen so many artists that are struggling, but then be supported by fellow artists who are also struggling. And we kind of just keep keep it flowing amongst ourselves to look out for each other. If you have landscapers by your house and you're familiar with landscaping, like people come in and they cut the grass. Like right now we're in such a crazy systemic time. And I don't really just mean systemic racism or oppression, but I mean like just the system is kind of like, for lack of a better word, kind of crumbling around the edges. And what, you, what, you're, what you're seeing is the grass kind of just overflowing. You know, people being like, listen, I believe in that almost more than I believe in the system. I'm going to make sure that this is good. And we're, we're seeing we're seeing nature kind of flow through. And that nature is people, the human decency, the human nature to be like, I too felt that way and I'm going to donate or I'm going to push the envelope on that because I too have been there. And I think that is something that's away from capitalism that is really coming out right now. And I think it's, it's a beautiful thing for sure. It's what's keeping the world alive, keeping our, you know, us on the phone with each other, you know, keeping the podcast mm -hmm. conversations going. The human aspect of this whole situation is what's keeping us alive. And I think that 
is something that needs to be spoken about more because that's away from capitalism. That's away from stimulus checks. That's away from, you know, government bailouts. That's something that we all have equity in right now without anything. If our bank are all frozen right now, we still have that human equity that we can tap into. I think that's something that is so important that we know right now. I think the Black Artist Fund is a real good example of that. To how it even came to be, like meeting Claudia in ninth grade when I was 14, when I first started making music. And then like her knowing that I make music obviously through high school, but then like 10 years later this situation happens where the situation isn't something that's new under the sun you know we've been fighting for freedoms as a people for so long as in everyone for so long it's just a resurgence of it but because we are i'm 25 now she's 25 now i think a lot of the board members are older now we're able to act on it. we're able to put our money where our mouths are for sure and show up for the people that are under us that need the support yeah Thank you so much, Kaylin. This is, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. And I think what you guys are doing is just such an amazing example of creating that, that reality that we want to live in and, you know, setting an example and creating, creating space and opportunity for other artists. And like you said, it's bigger than, bigger than just the support. It's really about the community and we're grateful to be able to talk to you and hear about that. It's, it's really amazing, and we're hoping that we can continue to support and to, to spotlight that, you know, whoever's listening, make sure that you definitely check out the Black Artist Fund, support them, and follow the artists. It's been, I think, you know, we're excited to, for, for all of these networks too, the, the sharing is another key piece. You know, we, we host an arts podcast, we're always looking for new artists, and there's so many platforms out there that are all about sharing artist work, and so it's such a great a tool for discovery too, so... We, we just love, you know, everything about the publication and the platform. And so thank you. No, I, I feel grateful to be on and be able to be heard. It's a, it's a, it's a gift for me as well. Totally, totally. Yeah. Is there anything else um, before we wrap up that you would want to share through the podcast? Actually, a few things, but not necessarily all about me. Yeah. I just want to say that music is going to be crazy next year. The art that's going to come out of this time is going to be crazy. So these investments, you know, whether they be to the Black Artist Fund or to even bigger artists, like I think if we really pay attention with our, our lenses as a, as a people, we can really start to see a new renaissance come out of this. If we really do dig deep and stay true to what's most important, we're going to see a, a real surge of new, creative, powerful content. I think that's something that we can we have to look forward to. So people listening, I want them to be positive in the fact that this turmoil in the world is going to yield for some really good art. There. It's good to be a part of it as a musician myself. I'm going to have things coming out, you know, as, as time continues. But I think the bittersweet of this, the bitter is kind of, we're in the bitter right now. And I think the sweet is going to be coming out of it and realizing that there's beauty to our struggles, you know, and there's going to be some, some big achievements coming out of this and things are going to be reforming themselves, you know, and we have to kind of like trust the process, have hope, but also actualize the things that we really want to, you know, happen. Yeah. Side art to the, you know, Black Artist Fund, something that we had to, she had, she, Claudia felt like she had to do it. I felt like I had to make that call to Nicole. There's certain things that, you know, we know what's right and what's wrong. So just let these things kind of grow and, and be hopeful to the horizon because I think what's going to come from it is going to be unprecedented, just like the COVID crisis. And where can people find and follow your work just in case they missed it at the beginning? You can find any of my music under any platform. My name is Kaylin Martin. That's K-A-E-L-I-N Martin. And then my socials are I'd Rather Die Speeding. That's I'd Rather Die Speeding. One word. I'm um, currently doing merch stuff, you know, out here in Miami. Doing really good with the merch. I think uh, that's been humbling me a lot. 
because the merch is coincided with the last project that I released. So that's going well. I have some songs coming out later this year. I'm working really on on getting my team, you know, every person on my team to be structured and ready and prepared to, to execute as the year ends. It's a really good time for music, man. A lot of people are making some good stuff and I just want people to be aware of that. There's going to be some good that comes out of this. Absolutely. And don't forget. Yeah. So many of us are processing what we're going through by making art about it or making music about it. And it's a lot, but some really incredible work comes out of strife and trauma and struggle. And like we're like you said, we're in the bitter right now, but the sweet is coming. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. it's a yin and yang. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, for doing the work that you're doing, for making your art and making it easier for people to also make their art. Thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate it. And um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak. I hope people will just get inspired by this and they can't, they pay it forward. Lack of a better phrase. They just pay yeah. it forward and they keep a positive mindset because like I said, we're going to be here, you know, so we have to really make this stuff really go the way we want it to go for us to be happy where we're at for sure. Amen. Yeah, and we'll definitely keep in touch with the the Black Artists Fund to see how y'all are doing and and how we can continue to to support you moving forward. Yeah, um, I, I really I really hope um, one day you guys can see it and it's even bigger and it's touching even more lives. Who knows? You know, it could go it could go anywhere. So we're just trying to stay positive and keep the ball rolling and keep it all, everything in good standing. Yeah, awesome. All of these conversations have been so inspiring. And of course, talking to Kaylin about the importance of researching who you support and creative ideas on ways that you can use your practice or or creative business to support fellow artists. And uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started the actual interview. But uh, I thought it was worth mentioning because I know it's something that I'm thinking about and other artists I've talked to are thinking about. Just think it's important to recognize that It doesn't always feel like the right time to release the work and, you know, maybe right now may not feel like the right time, but that doesn't mean that you have to stop creating the work. I was just really inspired thinking about his perspective on all the cool art that's going to come out of this. And it was a really, a really impactful takeaway that I've been thinking about a lot since we had the conversation. So I'm glad that uh, he kind of ended on that note. Yeah, I appreciated that too. Just thinking about the the potential creative renaissance that we're, um, you know, we might see through all this. If you're an artist uh, that's been impacted by COVID-19, then it's likely that you might have already heard of Artist Relief Fund. Um, For months now, they've been providing rapid, unrestricted $5,000 relief grants to assist artists facing dire financial emergencies due to the impact of COVID-19. They've also been serving as an informational resource, uh, co-launched a COVID-19 impact survey for artists and creative workers um, alongside Americans for the Arts. And the um, the Artist Relief Fund is organized by a coalition of national arts grant makers consisting of the Academy of American Poets, Artadia, Creative Capital, the Foundation for Contemporary Arts, MAP Fund, National Young Arts Foundation, and United States Artists. Um, for this next conversation, we were able to interview Carolyn Ramo, who is the executive director of Artadia and one of the coalition partners of Artist Relief Fund. Thank you so much for joining us. I wondered if you could, um, just for our listeners, give a little bit more of an introduction to your role and your uh, organization. 
Sure, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm very excited to speak to artists today. So my name is Carolyn. I am the executive director of Artadia. I've been in that role for eight years. Actually, today is my eighth year anniversary. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And before that, worked mostly in commercial galleries. So I've always been in roles that have been about supporting artists. Uh, Artadia is a grant-making organization. We're a nonprofit that supports visual artists um, primarily through unrestricted grants that we give in specific U.S. cities. We have given almost $6 million to over uh, 350 artists in the past 20 years. And we are one of the co-founders of Artist Relief um, and happy to go into that at length, but we are a coalition of grant makers that are all national in scope that came together at the beginning of COVID to think about how we could provide need-based support to artists in many different disciplines and provide that financial bridge as soon as we possibly could. So we used our fundraising capabilities and our networks to raise funds and then create a intricate, but hopefully simple for artists platform in which they could get some immediate relief. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear too a little bit more about how the Artist Relief Fund came to be because the timing was so quickly, I think, in response to um, the pandemic and the scale of all of these different arts organizations working together seems really unprecedented for lack of a better word. So I was wondering what the mechanics of this effort looked like. How were all of these arts leaders able to convene, establish the fund? You know, What was the timeline from when the virus emerged to these conversations taking place and then the establishment of Artist Relief Fund? It's interesting looking back because at the time it seemed like we were working quickly, but not like at the rapid pace that it feels like in retrospect, because we're now you know, potentially five months in to this. But we started talking, so let's say March 12th is when kind of New York City shut down. And it was clear that we were not going back to our offices and that this was going to affect all of us in ways that we could not even imagine and we still don't understand. It started out with a couple phone calls on a Saturday, really early into this experience. So, but really in late March, mid to late March, maybe like a week into us being quarantined or staying at home. And it was really clear that we needed to broaden who were the partners in this, but also think about what we had in common because we didn't want it to be too big. So we thought about national organizations that were all grant makers and that all gave to artists directly. So there's actually not that many grant making organizations who have that, that mission. So, you know, thinking about like creative capital that gives more project based grants, Foundation for Contemporary Arts, which was founded by artists, MAP Fund, which tends to be more performing artists, Academy of American Poets, which of course is poetry and sort of other written disciplines, United States Artists, which is national in scope, and National Young Arts Foundation, which has an alumni group that really varies in terms of the discipline. So we were the seven organizations that came together, again, very quickly. And it made sense because we thought about, like, what are the strengths of each organization? Artadia is actually quite small. We're the smallest of all of these organizations in terms of capacity and grant making. But we are also, you know, really connected in different ways. Like, you know, who funds United States artists is really different than who funds Artadia, um, et cetera. And so we really kind of thought about, like, can we broaden in terms of what funders we can get on board? 
we each have specific skills and infrastructure. Some people were able to bring, you know, 20 staff members to the table. Other people were able to think about like, I can produce our wellness series. Um, and that's what Creative Capital is doing. And they had that capability. So our goal was at first to raise $2 million. And we did that so quickly that we were all just kind of mystified. And we decided to buy launch. We'd made a launch date of April 8th which if you think about like we started end of March and the launch date being April 8th, like that was really That's quick. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So we raised $10 million in 10 days. Um, wow. wow. And it, one of the most incredible things, we, we clearly figured out that we needed to have different committees within this subgroup. And of these seven organizations, the executive directors and CEOs at each of these organizations all happen to be women. I don't know if that's just a happy coincidence, but- Beautiful. We, it felt like really non-hierarchical very early on. Like there mm -hmm. were those involved. It was about how can we use our ability to raise funds and our connections with philanthropists to like galvanize this movement or this effort. And so we, we had to make some quick decisions, but really as a group, like how much were the grants going to be? How many would we give a week? How long did we want to do this for? How would we even approach different foundations and philanthropies? Like what was the vetting process? Some uh, foundations require quite a lot of administration around the relationship. But what was so cool is that foundations typically require like a lot of legwork in order to, you know, create an actual gift or a contribution. But so many foundations were responsive quickly. And I think that is partly because we were working together. We said, you know, hey, like we have figured out that we can do this only because we're stronger when we work together also because we were working with so many different disciplines and like really defining what an artist could be now. And then further being able to create a mechanism for an, an application, which is actually not easy to create an application that rapidly, but then also to figure out like the selection process and really have it be need-based and flexible. You know, we've made a lot of changes that are subtle ever since we started to make sure that we were continually supporting the most vulnerable populations, thinking about where the virus was spreading, where there might be hotspots. We brought in field partners to think about like where we were not accessing um, artists in specific disciplines. Right now we're seeing a lot of musicians, for instance, um, more than almost any other group. But we also like really needed to support filmmakers. So having Sundance Institute and Surf, who were working with Craft, I mean, having both of their involvement early on was, was integral to all of this. It was a true group effort. I'm sorry, I just went on and on. So is there a part of this that I could clarify? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting just to hear about, you know, how these conversations originated. And again, just the timing of it is, is I think, so amazing. As far as the fundraising, I'm curious, um, being able to raise that amount of money in that short amount of time, did you find that you were... I mean, how really did that happen? Were you going to existing funders for each of the organizations? Did working together open up, you know, new avenues that you were then able to approach? Um, you mentioned the foundations. Were there other major sources helping to get this off the ground? Both all, yes. Yes to everything. So we... Uh we're really lucky to have a matching grant from the Andrew Mellon Foundation, and that was $5 million. So that became wow. kind of like deal breaking for us, like that we felt like, 
once we were able to really surpass our $2 million goal and that we had the $5 million matching grant, that that was something that we could really leverage to get other foundations. You know, the Mellon mm-hmm. Foundation is so, so, so integral in the arts ecosystem as a leader in terms of supporting the arts. They have made sure that the arts are part of their priorities and more so now. And that was really helpful. We did go to all of our existing donors. We also were able to reach donors that none of us had ever worked with before. The Artist Endowed Foundation community was also particularly responsive to this. They were looking for a mechanism to support artists and we essentially like created this for them. If you think about it that way, like we're providing a solution to a universal problem. And then in terms of you know, we had $10 million at launch, and then we've now raised $5 million subsequently. And that additional $5 million, about around $1 million of it is from individuals that has not been solicited. So it's been so incredible to just see, you know, based on our incredible communications team, they were able to really get the word out there to artists, but also show that this was a real group effort. And so we've received those individual donations. But for us, it made made a lot more sense to, to work with private philanthropy. And you touched on this a little bit, um, but what what are some of the other ways that working together with all these organizations for artist relief, you've been able to pool resources together or to combine things that maybe you wouldn't be able to do independently. Um, You mentioned creative capital spearheading a wellness series um, in connection with the fund. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it's also about reaching the artists too um, and making sure that they knew about this. So it was also really working again with the communications team who were integral part of this. And, you know, I would say again, like the intricacies of the application, we're all grant makers and we knew um, how to create an application on our own, but how quickly we were able to do that. Also in terms of reaching um, different geographic areas, you know, a lot of us are based in New York, and so we felt really New York-centric. So many of the artists that really need support are not within urban communities, are not even based on the East Coast. And so we really wanted to make sure that we we got the word out to as many artists as we could so that the national aspect was key for all of us. But again, mostly it's, you know, giving each other the confidence to move forward. We all continued with our day jobs and made sure that artist relief was something that we could continue through these these months. Um, our aim is to be able to provide the support as long as we can. The larger question, of course, is that, you know, artist relief grants are just a bridge. You know, we give $5,000 to 100 artists per week. We've received over 100,000 applications. Those are Those are sobering numbers. And part of also some of this is is figuring out, like, how do we decide what need is for one person over another? And it really became like a, a almost like a human rights issue, not necessarily just like an artistic labor issue. So also helping us sort of figure out, like, what is the long term way that we can be supportive to the arts ecosystem um, to artists? And we're not sure the answer to that yet, truthfully. It's really ebbed and flowed. Of course, like so many things has hap- have happened since launch. We're pretty sure that the, the pandemic will get worse in the fall. Um, I think we all have sort of decided that as a, as yeah. a world. Um, <laughs> so we're just trying to figure out, like, how do we make sure that the financial support is continues? But then also we think about, again, like, how do we just 
like highlight that art matters, but we also need to make sure that the individuals who are like greatly suffering right now have their needs amplified beyond just this like initial little boost that we're giving them. And again, we're not sure the answer to that right now, but we're all committed to that ongoing conversation. Yeah, these are the questions. It, It seems like this pandemic has just exposed all of these, you know, root issues and issues with an infrastructure and, you know, in ways that it, it is impacting artists, but these are all, you know, obviously really intersectional issues that touch on things like healthcare and, um, you know, other workers' rights. And um, there's so many factors that are intertwined here. So it doesn't seem like there are any easy answers, but but it is, you know, encouraging to see efforts like Artist Relief Fund. And um, I think what really interests us too is the way that you know, because none of these are, are problems that we can solve individually, but the sort of collective power of, you know, art, artists working together or multiple arts organizations working together um, and how Artists Relief Fund is really an example of that at scale. I have a lot of questions about this, but maybe one, this is kind of going back to what you were um, just talking about initially about the volume of, of applicants. And for, you know, artists that are listening, um, who I'm sure at this point of probably heard of Artist Relief, um, we'll definitely include those links and, you know, all of the eligibility requirements are listed there. But how have you been able to handle just the volume of applicants? Was that a surprise? Even just the, the logistics of that, you know, being able to vet applications It wasn't necessarily a surprise. You know, I think it is Mm. disheartening. It's like heartbreaking in many, many, many ways to see how many artists have tremendous need. What was interesting is that we had to clearly define how we feel and how we define what an artist is and who an artist is. And that did eliminate a lot of the applications. But in terms of the eligible applications, we we did a two-pronged system that essentially is a, a human aspect. We have review partners every month. Um, and they're representatives from cultural organizations across the country. And they look over the applications, they verify their eligibility. And then there's a lottery aspect too. And then every week among the eligible applications, the lottery sifts through those that, that demonstrate like the most need. And then that's who did, is uh, chosen each week. So we encourage everyone to apply monthly. If you apply, they'll get a notice that says, you know, you weren't chosen this month and then please reapply. We certainly have seen the application numbers ebb and flow. But yeah, we we definitely encourage unfunded artists to, to reapply every month. And then also to document any changes in their circumstances. We've also seen artists that maybe applied the first month and felt like their needs weren't dire and then have become increasingly more so. We've determined need based on childcare, food, housing, Um, and medical needs. And of course, you know, the medical needs also are related to COVID, but also beyond that, if people do not have the funding for just their whatever medication they might need ongoing. You know, part of this is like also heartbreaking is that if we just had universal healthcare, how many artists would not need to apply? So there are some bigger questions afoot that Artist Relief is just one really small answer or one small resource compared to like a much bigger problem. So I think, you know, the other thing is that we are going to see um, unemployment numbers increase. 
Um, mm-hmm. Of course, like the any sort of stimulus is going to potentially be over this week. The education sector where artists, a lot of artists are teachers from pre-K to college. That's where a lot of unemployment numbers we're, we're seeing. And in, according to the figures, we really also feel that artists may be the last workforce to truly recover. And that is also to think about like, although artists relief may sunset in the fall, in terms of our relief efforts based on like how much funding is available, this problem is not going away. And so many foundations, just back to this question about funders, are thinking about shifting from relief efforts to more like recovery efforts. But while we're in the middle of it, it seems like that's a little too soon to do that. Like perhaps we need to continue to provide relief as well as think about recovery simultaneously. And that's what we're really urging people to think about so that we do provide this emergency funding. I really appreciated you mentioning the unemployment stuff, because obviously right now, as of the date that we're recording, we're at the end of July, where, you know, a lot of folks, myself and my husband included, are like, what is happening with unemployment? What does this mean? And like a lot of the the benefits in the past have not extended to artists. And there has been a little bit of relief due to COVID, but that seems like it's on the brink of going away and trying to understand what the long term solution is or, or even how we can just get through it. The rest of the year, it's it's a lot. It is, and I wish that we could fund everyone. I mean, if you look at, we're definitely um, humbled by the need. We're also um, excited to have been able to provide any support to artists. But you know, the total that we've raised at this point is fifteen million, which is fantastic. But compared to say, like a, comp- a country like Germany that provided, you know, hundreds of, of millions of dollars very quickly in the beginning of this pandemic. It just makes you think about like what is problematic in our country in terms of how we support individuals. Um, yeah. So if anything, we just want to bring a highlight to that. But yes, I, you know, we're, we're aware that $5,000 is very helpful. And then the stories that we're hearing are people that do not have access to food, that do not know how they're going to pay rent next month. And so it's it's really dire. And so again, like I, I'm not sure what the long-term solution is. And we wanna also think about that. I don't know how many people understand, again, like how many artists, even like some artists with really notable names across disciplines who are also without resources right now. Yeah, we just did an episode with Patton Hindle, the head of arts at Kickstarter, and Artists Really Fund actually came up in the conversation along with Germany's response to to funding in the pandemic. And and this was all related to the lack of federal funding here in the U.S. Do you feel like Artists Really Fund uh, or even Artadia as an organization was created to respond to a need that the federal government could not be relied on to fill? She had sort of mentioned um, related to Kickstarter that a kind of a a nonprofit approach to their mission was to work to help create a world where, um, you know, a platform like Kickstarter wouldn't need to exist. Yes. I mean, that is definitely true. Artadia was founded specifically when the NEA stopped giving their individual artist grants. I know so many of the other, um, our fellow artist relief founding organizations also similarly were founded out of that. So certainly, I think that our government could do a lot more. And, and the question is, like, how powerful it is when we work together. And Kickstarter has been, like, an incredible collaborator for all of us individually in terms of organizations, but also thinking about supporting artists, Relief too. I know for a fact that, like, we can do more when we work together. There's this brain trust. There's this leadership team. Um, mm-hmm. We're able to adapt so quickly, which is really great. Um, and that is integral to the survival of the arts and culture 
agriculture sectors, you know, we're seeing so much institutionally change and in terms of commercially what's happening to the galleries. And I just don't know how much people are aware of what that means for artists as well. You know, we have dismissed the sort of individual on these larger conversations, but the individuals tend to be the ones that come up with solutions. And we certainly hope that we could sway the government in many ways. But as I mentioned before, you know, it might be that as opposed to like lobbying for artists separately than other labor rights initiatives is that we just include artists in those conversations. And then similarly, like we might have more of an effect on artists if we do have universal health care versus, you know, again, just like helping on a very small institutional level. And we're also, you know, artist relief members and coalition members are very humbled by that bigger conversation. Like we might not be the best people to do that. So, you know, we're happy to put our expertise in terms of grant making to work right now. But I think that it will be artists and it will be, you know, others in labor rights and lobbying movements that um, help us think about a broader solution here. Yeah, you might have answered this a little bit already, but do you look at Artist Relief Fund as sort of a lobbying effort to demonstrate the need for long-term governmental funding or as more of an alternative example of what more private foundation-driven support could do? Absolutely. I mean, just in terms of like those that we have the ear of, I wouldn't say that we Mm -hmm. are going to be lobbying in a traditional sense of that word. But for instance, we partnered with Americans for the Arts and created a survey and that data has become useful across the field. And some surprising insights from that is that 62% of artists and creative workers are fully unemployed because of COVID. So, I mean, that's a staggering number. 95% have experienced income loss, 80% have no plan to recover. So that's just like, you know, those are numbers that we just want to get out there as much as we can so that people do embrace how, again, individual artists are being affected right now. And their greatest needs, as artists have stated, is unemployment insurance, forgivable business loans, food housing assistance and affordable health care. So, again, those are like four things that maybe before artists relief and before COVID, I maybe wouldn't have even thought about. Like when I think of what artists needs are, especially in the Artadia lens. And again, before COVID, I really thought about connectivity to the a commercial platform so that artists can make a living from their artwork through sales. And that is very true of the visual arts realm, which is where Artadia works within. But artists need, again, like just some basic human rights and human support that just has been eye-opening for everyone. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, artists are the ones that are using their creative practice to address community needs. So as community members, like how do we create a platform for them to do that, but also to be paid for that practice? Yeah, that's an interesting um, point, too, just that it's not just this one one way mode of support, but through financially supporting artists, you are in turn supporting all of these other community efforts and initiatives that they may be a part of or helping to drive. So there is that ripple effect that occurs through that, too. Yeah. And, you know, Artists Relief, we had as organizations, we all donated some funds to mutual aid that artists have led artist led initiatives in terms of mutual aid. And we've seen so much of that in the past few months. And artists were the ones that were the most quick in terms of creating that kind of community based support. But, yeah, then they all do so. A lot of them do so without being paid or reimbursed for costs. 
that it's like this given that artists do things in a selfish way because that's their practice and they can't help it but create. And that's a really wonderful idea, but we just need to make sure. And there's been so many initiatives over the years that artists get paid. I mean, wage was incredibly groundbreaking for that reason. I, I don't know exactly when wage started, but thinking about like an, an institution being wage certified, I remember that feeling like an essential that for some reason didn't become universally accepted, but it should be. And I'm hoping that that will be the shift going forward, you know, that there will be as much of a um, sort of diversity line that people are looking for in terms of boards and staffs and programs and thinking about supporting, again, like a, a broad group of, of artists and individuals or also thinking about making sure that they're getting paid um, in a, an equitable manner. Yeah. And that's especially relevant as we may go into a like wage percentage support regarding unemployment. Like I said, I've, I've been reading about it today, so it's been very top of mind. Yeah. And most artists don't receive wages or not part of a, a regular consistent system of income. And it's hard to, I don't know, quantify what that would even look like. Yeah, I mean, again, I think so much of this is just staggering, but I think for those that are lucky to be philanthropists, we want to make sure that the arts and artists don't get lost um, amongst many other places that need support. Because again, these are just like a human rights issue, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so back to that, like sort of like using the platform to just make sure that artists aren't forgotten especially as like unemployment. I mean, and that might be at a government level, you know, in making sure that that there are, at least on the statewide and citywide initiatives that, that, that artists are included and the arts are included. And we're seeing this like Philadelphia and correct me if I'm wrong, like, like scrapped their entire arts funding and other cities are, are definitely like having smaller and smaller budgets for the arts. So I don't know. I'm not very optimistic today. I go back and forth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nice to be able to support, but it's really hard to know, again, like how bad it's going to get in the next few months. Yeah, it feels almost like an every other day experience. It's like you have your hopeful days where you're like, wow, what it, how empowering it is to see people congregating together. I mean, not literally, uh, but you know, lifting each other up and finding ways through community to get through these insane hardships. But at the same time, the other days are incredibly disheartening because you're like, all I do is try to provide, you know, I'll say I as an artist, but like, all I do is try to provide value to the world and the world will not value me back. And like, how are we supposed to, to navigate that? I mean, I, I don't have an answer, but it's, yeah, I don't either. And I, you know, I, I feel the same way that I, I some days feel more optimistic than others. And what I've learned through Artadia and what the, the real joy of getting to know artists in different cities across the country, and not that geography is the only way to, to group together artists, but it's one that Artadia uses. You know, thinking about like every artist has a different definition of success. And mm-hmm. for some, it's just like making work in their studio and feeling proud of it. For others, it's, you know, being on the cover of Art Forum and somebody else it's showing at a big gallery or somebody else it's just like creating a public sculpture. Or maybe it's like, you know, a critical discourse that, that feels like they're pushing history forward. You know, there's so many different ways that an artist can be successful. And so, again, like really sort of championing where artists live and how they live and really like looking to artists to tell us like this is what we think the the way that uh, individuals should be considered in our society going forward. Mm-hmm. That was sort of a tangent. Sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, know, I feel like all of my thoughts are these sort of incomplete tangents where it's like, oh, I have so many feelings about this, but I can't even break through with everything because there's just so much to absorb and process and try to navigate right now. And the unemployment issue, I know that it's a really timely one. It's today is the day that we're thinking about it. I just, I think I'm kind of veering the conversation away from that because I don't have an answer. You know, I wish that we did, you know, like none of us do. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been hesitant to ask because you, you sort of answered this earlier, just in how, how much of an immediate need there is right now, but you know, whether there have been any longer term goals of artist relief besides fulfilling these short term survival needs. So maybe this is premature to to ask because there aren't any clear answers at this point in time. But I am interested because we've talked about the collective power of so many organizations working together, you know, in, in so many ways. And I am wondering if I guess just what that what the conversation has has looked like, um, even if it's incomplete, or you know, you mentioned supporting some other initiatives through Artist Relief Fund. In what ways could this maybe be a model for either new ways of arts organizations working together in some kind of post-pandemic world, or you know, if there are other initiatives that you're seeing that are um, are exciting to you, or you know, hopeful for how they're kind of being inventive in how they're problem solving in this time? Yeah, those are great questions. So, you know, of course, like artist relief is not the only relief effort for artists right now. There's so many local and regional relief efforts. We were, you know, one, if not the only national relief effort. And a lot of funders very early on in the first couple of days were like, good luck. That is a challenging thing to do. So again, like, we were really happy to provide the financial support. And that is the crux of what we wanted to be able to do. But again, like elevating this conversation about artist labor on a national level. You know, we've been lucky to have a lot of press and stories about what we've been doing just to get the word out there. And that was like definitely a secondary mission of what we wanted to do. And then in terms of working collaboratively, Artist Relief will sunset at some point this fall, unless there is a windfall of support. Um, And then we can continue the relief grants Um, And we aim to extend it beyond September as long as we can, as long as we're able to raise more funds. So we'll see how how much we can give away. But we do aim to have some sort of, you know, tool-based report that we could provide others that are interested in doing something like this. If the pandemic or the next crisis comes up, if there's another hurricane in you know, Texas or, you know, New Orleans that really affects the community. We'd love to be able to say, here's what we did and here's how we were able to do this. And here's what we thought about in terms of an application. Here's like what we needed in terms of different committees within the larger group and and hopefully be able to create a template for others to to take that as learnings to, to apply to their own work. What I've seen that's really exciting, again, beyond the regional is that I've seen, you know, like-minded small institutions in New York fundraise together for operating support amongst some of their uh, similar supporters. So for instance, a foundation that might support like six out of 12 organizations gives to a pot of a fund versus individually. It makes it just easy for foundations to not have to feel like there's competition for dollars. So all of that, I think, is ingenious. I think that is the way forward. You know, so much, especially with Artadia and even my fellow artist relief organizations, we were always trying to carve out like our own lane. 
And now I think like the joy and the interesting thing is to think about like where we might overlap, ultimately to be able to provide as much support as possible. Also at the end of the day, especially with Artadia and so many organizations, like we want to be responsive and nimble and have it be really about what artists' needs are. And so as they change, we want to be able to like ebb and flow. And so similarly with Artist Relief, you know, we anticipate that there might be an ongoing need for support, but we might be able to provide that with our own organizations post-Artist Relief time. Yeah, that's exciting that maybe the way that Artist Relief Fund has been able to create this support system could be used as, as a framework or as a teaching tool for others that are looking to to do something similar because there are a lot out there and and that's part of what we wanted to highlight through this episode too was some of these initiatives that have emerged whether grassroots or you know at a national level it sounds like a great way to empower other groups or other you know organizations or artists to be able to to take on similar challenges without without duplicating efforts and I love what you said in there too about you know recognizing where there's a shared mission and I think there is it's just become so much more obvious during this time how, you know, we can't go it alone. We can't do these things um, independently. And I think maybe even previously where there might have been a desire to create something um, independently, there's seems to be maybe just out of necessity, more receptiveness or a, a desire to pool efforts and work together and look for, you know, who's out there that's doing similar work and how could we pool our resources and, you know, go further. It's certainly true with fundraising efforts, you know, maybe programmatically, like there is something nice about like, you know, artist needs are, are vast. And so if we have mm-hmm. a bunch of different organizations and one is um, interested in being the publishing arm and one is the exhibition space and one is a different kind of exhibition space. I mean, there's so many different audiences, right? So we, we clearly need a diversity of institutions and organizations. Mm-hmm. However, you know, again, if as the funding becomes less and less for the arts, like let's make it as easy as possible for those foundations and philanthropists and individuals to feel like the arts are an easy thing to support. So if we can create a lot of options by working together in terms of fundraising, I think that is that is the way forward. You know, I've always felt like there's never, you know, a scarcity of dollars out there. It's really about trying to figure out like who your networks are and, and of course, like diversifying your networks in as many ways as possible. However, you know, there there is going to be competition like there never has been before because there's just so much need across the spectrum. So we we definitely want to make sure the arts are part of it and artists, too. I mean, again, like a lot of times people think when I want to support the arts, it's really easy to say I'll support my local large museum. Um, But if people want to have a larger impact, maybe they don't understand how much like individual artists are going to be like the people that actually change our culture as opposed to the institutions. Yeah. And this is kind of throwing back to what you had said a little bit earlier, where artists were some of the first group to really start supporting one another in the pandemic. And I'm remembering, you know, on like social media, there was the whole artist supporting artists. And I mean, as an artist, it really helped me get through that season, just being supported by fellow artists, which allowed me to continue to support 
fellow artist forward. And I think it's important to, to reference that because we really look out for each other, but we also, we get it because we're artists, but so many people don't understand that it is really hard to, to self-fund, which we often do, um, and to try to, to get through a pandemic and life, but yeah. <laughs> especially right now. Yeah. I mean, again, like that goes to show you, and this is true a lot of times with Artadia is that the funds are great, but a lot of times it's validation and someone telling you that your work matters and that you matter. Um, and I think especially with a need-based support, which is what artist relief is, is just saying that like, here's the lifeline. So again, mm-hmm. like part of it is just like saying that, they, hey, there's a community that cares and we're, we're all doing what we can to support each other. And But I've seen it more and more so with artists than anybody. It's, there's a selflessness that is just incredible. So I think nobody wants like a New York City without its creative pulse. <laughs> nobody wants like a United States or a world without like there being some sort of like new radical way of thinking and artists for me um, and for so many are the, are the people that provide that. Mm-hmm. And just for artists that are listening, can you remind us of when the final deadlines to apply for artist relief fund are? So it's ongoing. We encourage artists to apply every month. It's unclear how far past mid-September we'll be able to go. So ideally, I don't know when this story runs, but that we hope that people apply as soon as they can. The application is fairly simple. You don't have to download anything. We won't ask for any financial information. It's about trust. Um, But we do ask that artists do define and sort of explain their need so that we can understand that. And that we also ask if any artist is willing to please fill out the impact survey, which will help us give a clearer picture of what's happening in the country. And it'll also allow us to help more artists. Um, That data is really, really helpful. And then, you know, again, yeah, please reapply if you haven't received the funding yet. We know that it is competitive and we're trying to do as much as we can. So we also hope that the wellness videos are of interest. Um, those are all supported and created by Creative Capital, and they're all on the artistrelief.org website. And yeah, hopefully it's um, a, a great resource beyond just financial for everyone. Mm-hmm. And we'll include links to all of those in the show notes so listeners can just click directly to um, all of these different things that you've mentioned. Great. If there happens to be anyone who is in a position to support, every dollar helps. So just to say that donations are tax deductible. I mean, one of the reasons why we're trying to extend artist relief is artists who receive relief funding this calendar year, it is non-taxed. So that's an incredible moment to be able to provide those dollars to artists. Um, And 100% of any contribution to artist relief goes directly to that aid. So just if anyone is in a position to give. And that's definitely important to notice. We learned, we received a grant a couple years ago and we learned just how much taxes can cut into that and how you often have to include that in your proposal. But yeah, that's, that's very important to know that the funding right now, what you see is what you get and it's actually what you get. Yes, yes. And that's true of all relief funds, I believe, no matter whether it's artist relief or one of the many other relief funds that are out there. It's non-taxed through the end of this calendar year and through 2020. Excellent. That's great. Is there anything else that you would want to share just as we wrap up this conversation or any final, final thoughts? Not really. I think I was pretty comprehensive, I hope. (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Carolyn. We really appreciate this conversation and getting to hear a little bit about the the inner workings and the behind the scenes conversation um, and just all of the really important work that Artists Really Fund um, and all of the independent organizations that are a part of it are doing. So thank you. It's a really pleasure to speak to you guys today and best of luck to all artists that are listening. Yeah, thank Thank you. you. We were so impressed by talking to these organizations and really empowered by the ways that they're taking action to help bring relief to artists. This has been such an incredibly trying year and we're all kind of figuring it out on the fly. There's something really beautiful to be said about seeing the impact that can be had with our collective power. And after these interviews, it just feels even further affirmed that we are stronger together. And as artists, we absolutely can be the ones to make changes and to step forward and to make the shifts that we need and provide the support that we need and and find the support that we need. I'm so glad that we did this episode. And If anyone listening is aware of other artist mutual aids or uh, support organizations, please don't hesitate to forward those. We want to keep sharing whatever information that we can that's valuable to artists. So don't hesitate to uh, share anything that you're saying. Or if you're part of an organization, we would love to talk to you about uh, how you're helping artists. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Studio. We've included links to each of these grants in our show notes and on our website, beyondthe.studio, if you are looking to apply or in a position to give. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. 